0: Hey, Springs Community Church. My name's John. I'm so excited to be with you. Those of you who are gathered in person, those of you who are watching online, I want to start out by first saying, happy Father's Day. Come on, let's give a round of applause. Even if you're at home, kids, clap for your parents if you got them there. If you don't have anyone there and you're just clapping by yourself, keep clapping. I know it's weird, but man, happy Father's Day. Here's what's true. Every time you talk about Father's Day, right, you hit people at all different emotions and feelings on a spectrum. You hit those who can't wait. They already got brunch scheduled with dad and excitement. Like they're going out, the reservation's set, and there's just joy. You hit those who this is the first year that they are grieving the loss of their father. You hit those who are reminded that they might have to make a phone call today to a father that they honestly they don't really want to make. You hit those who are acting as dads now and who want to come and say, hey, how do I be more faithful in it? Wherever you are, wherever you are, I pray, we pray, it is a blessed Father's Day. The final thought about fathers before we jump in kind of where we're going for today is here's what's true. I've been thinking about this recently. All fathers, and this is true of parents, mothers included, right? So I'm not diminishing the role of mom or mother, but all fathers will have do have a tremendous impact on their kids. Here's why I think that, it's probably so obvious to so many of us, but here's why it matters so much. Do you cognitively, do you realize that you will have that impact? See, you can have that impact in positive ways to where there's the sense of like, that's my dad. And you can have that, whether that be from neglect, absence, passivity or withdrawal positive negative the amazing thing about father's day it is this fixed date in the calendar whether you believe in jesus or or you don't that stirs you up to say you have tremendous potential and god almighty wants to help you use that potential really well He wants to do everything to come and help it be the sense of, like, that's my father. I'm their father. Why? He calls himself our father. He's the perfect example of that. So wherever you are on that spectrum on Father's Day, God wants to help you to help me grow in that. But I want to start by sharing a moment of a father-failure. Uh, Last week, or the past kind of 10 days, I had the privilege, my my father, my family, they live in Georgia, my wife and I and our kids, we took a road trip from here to Georgia. That's about 15 and a half, 16 hours, according to Google Maps. I had a massive father failure right around the east side of Mississippi, sitting in a Cracker Barrel, right? Right? But I'll tell you all that with a little background before. I love driving, I love road trips, I enjoy those kinds of things, but there's something about my personality. Like I'm the guy, when I come to a road trip, I pull out Google Maps, I check the time. You know how it gives you an estimated time? And I sit there and I think, okay, 15 and a half hours? I could beat that, right? Like, okay. I'll beat that, and then I start thinking, okay, how many stops do I really need? All right, I could cut that. How quickly could I do those stops? Hey, I could cut that. Hey, how little time do I need to spend to get there as fast as I possibly can if I left at 4 a.m., I'm there by this time. How do I coordinate traffic? I don't wanna slow down. Like, how do I have Google Maps going? And Waze, because Waze tells you about police officers, don't be like me, always drive the speed limit. I mean that sincerely, right? But that's the mindset, it's like how quick could do it. It's like this challenge. Everything's like this achievement, this goal-driven accomplishment for me. Well, many of you who've taken trips, right, as a family probably realize where this is going. This was my first time doing a road trip. We've had the privilege. We've taken flights the past few years with a three-and-a-half-year-old and a a four-month-old. I tell you what, man. We literally, like, before I get out of New Braunfels, we've stopped at the Target because we forgot diapers, and the Target stop takes 30 minutes. Like, I'm failing before we get there. Thankfully, we left towards the end of one night, so we drive halfway, I think we stopped somewhere in Louisiana, got a hotel room, got in about midnight, got up the next day, had breakfast, put the kids in the car, started driving, made it a couple hours. We are in East Mississippi. Alabama doesn't take long to get through, right? probably about three hours away from home car is just melting down everybody's losing it wife's losing it trip my four-month-old's losing it lily my daughter's losing it we're sitting there and i'm thinking it's just three hours just keep going just keep going and my wife from the back is saying we are not going to keep going cracker barrel anybody like cracker barrel dude cracker barrel to me has become like a beacon of hope i'm telling y'all I literally, we pull off, in Cracker Barrel, it's not even efficient. You can't get gas there, right? So you literally have to then go get gas after you go. You sit down and wait. It's not even fast food. Like, it takes a long time. But, dude, I'm sitting there. The server comes to take our order. And, like, I got a a three-and-a-half-year-old that's nuts, trip. He's chilling with mom. They were pretty respectful and calm. And I'm toast. Change this whole view for me. See, I I shifted in that moment to realizing something. When it comes to a long road trip, and again, if you've done this, and you can do this with roommates or friends, you don't even have kids, but kids really do change it. I realized, hey, my mindset of just get there, which I'm just gonna summarize, let's just call it accomplishment. Achievement, how quick, how fast. Any any Enneagram type threes in here? Most of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about, that's great, you can look it up later, right? But it's this achievement mindset. And I really needed to shift to what I'm gonna call an endurance mindset. Here's what I mean, it doesn't matter when I get there. The only thing that matters, everyone's alive. <laughs> Marriage is still intact, they still call me dad. Those became my new three goals, because even though I'm three hours from home, there's this sense of, it'll be all right. Just slow down. And I had to shift from this like driven, achieve, accomplish, time it. To just get there and finish well. The reason I start with that is if you've been with us the past week, we're working our way through the book of 2 Timothy. It's this beautiful letter that this church leader by the name of the Apostle Paul, he wrote to a young church leader, to this church planter. His name's Timothy. Now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... Right, Whether you know this or you don't, whether you live in this or you don't, you are meant to be a church leader. So it's like he's writing to this growing, budding church leader. And as you read this letter, the part we're going to talk about today, you would almost think, here's what I would think. You would almost think that he would be writing to this young, let's call him a Padawan. This Padawan about, hey, here's how you need to lead. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you set up kids' ministry. Here's how to run the baptismal. Here's how to set up the functions. Here's how many people you should be doing. Here's how to run an Easter and a Christmas Eve service at the same time. Like these achievement, accomplishment directions. Think about even our American culture. We're so achievement-based. You'd think he'd be doing that with Timothy. It's not at all. Instead, he writes this heart of not accomplishment and achievement. Here's what you should be doing. Here's how to have this impactful, significant life. Here's how how to leave your mark on the world. He says, hey, have an enduring mindset. Have a mindset that says, finish well. The amazing thing about endurance is, again, and I think about our American culture, not only that we're so achievement-oriented, but to endure It means to go through something difficult and hard and to keep going, right? It's like you come and you hit a wall, but you push through the wall. Y'all tracking with me on that? Because that really matters because not only are we achievement oriented, but we as a culture want to do everything in our power. And I'm not saying all of it's wrong. We want to do everything in our power to avoid pain. Like as soon as we hit the wall, we immediately think something's wrong. Like the emotional pain or the stress, we don't use that to like drill down and figure out what's going on. We say, okay, if I'm unhappy, something's wrong, and we abandon ship. We say, hey, I'm sitting in a sense of of loneliness. We hit a wall in difficulty. We don't push through the loneliness, but we say, okay, if I'm lonely, God would never want me to be lonely. It wouldn't be a means to drive me to him. He must want me. And all of a sudden, we download apps, and we reach out to people for comfort. We start to escape through different methods. Do you see how even this, like endurance for us, we first have to embrace the reality. It means it's going to get hard, and we keep going. Here's why I love it, too. He's going to talk about what we're supposed to endure for. We endure on behalf of people. As we continue our series in 2 Timothy, today we're going to talk about how we, those who believe in Jesus, I'm talking to the church believers, we endure everything. For who? Every one. We endure everything. And what do I mean by enduring everything? I mean you endure the awkward conversations, the the moments where your boss is condescending to you, where you get passed up for the promotion, where your wife is disrespectful, your husband's disrespectful, where your community group isn't really committed to community, and then you're like, why am I even coming? You endure that difficulty. Why? For the sake of the other people. Jesus Christ endured difficulty for who? For the sake of you, for the sake of me. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 13 as we see we endure everything for everyone. You know this to be true even if you don't believe in Jesus. Amazing relationships where things really change. You always push through a wall. A lot of times we call that wall the honeymoon period, Right? And what's on the other side of the honeymoon? Real, deep connection. So we'll be in 2 Timothy. The first thing that we're going to talk about is we endure everything. Why? Because he endured everything, Christ. And it's from that that we endure. So as you're turning to 2 Timothy, right, I want to give you guys a little bit of context. If you were here last week with us, here's what you saw. Garrison, another pastor on staff, he taught us this truth. He taught us how earlier in the chapter it speaks to the the idea that an established faith is a shared faith. How an established faith is one that entrusts, it suffers, it thinks. How it's acted, it's corresponded by the reality of what it would look like to be a teacher instructing students, to be a soldier at war, an athlete training for the games, a farmer tilling the soil. It's this difficulty. What can you call that? You endure. What we'll see today is it's going to start by using Jesus as the example of endurance. It's going to be a reminder of us to endure. I'm going to read verses 8 through 13, and then we're going to jump back up and talk about 8. Verse 8, in your Bibles, if you're home, grab a Bible. I think it'll be on the screen. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This next part, 11 through 13, right? Paul's going to say this is a trustworthy saying. This would have been an early church, so think first century church, liturgy like almost like a a miniaturized version of a creed they would have known this it would have been familiar to them he says this saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him if we deny him he will also deny us if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself So that's the context. That's the full reading that we're going to look at. And what's what's our theme through here? You saw it in the passage. Endure everything. For who? For everyone. But let's jump up to verse 8 as we see the pinnacle example of endurance. Jumping back up to verse 8, I'll read that again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So why do we first endure everything? He Endured everything. Why do we endure everything? He, that's Jesus Christ, endured everything. And why did he do it? For you. For me. To help me be a more faithful father. To help me come to know him. He endured everything. Let me show you that from the passage. It starts out here, Remember Jesus Christ Christ. You might think, oh, this is just Paul telling Timothy to recall. It was actually fun studying this. This language right here, it's actually speaking to not just the details of Jesus Christ and what he did, but it's this call to the totality of his message. It carries this connotation, this sense of remember all he's done. Let me give you an example. We're in Texas. We're close to San Antonio. If I say, remember the Alamo, dude, that carries a whole lot of weight. You don't just think about specific details. You don't just think about this. Maybe that comes to mind, but it stirs up within you this sense of almost bravery, camaraderie, patriotism. Remember the Alamo. It's this charge. That's what he's doing with Jesus Christ. He's calling with this sense of remember what he's done, and then he gives examples of what he's done. He's risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Why did he have to die to pay the penalty for your sins, for my sins. He endured the wrath of God placed on him on my behalf and on yours. He endured everything, and he rose. Then you see that offspring of David. It's speaking to this call. Not only is he king of the universe, he's the conqueror of sin and death, but it's this call to this theme. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He was the promised one that God had said would always come. God never leaves His people. Came for you. It came for me as He always would. And then Paul he switches it and he says, This is the gospel that I've preached to you. Except he he describes it a certain way. He says, as preached in my gospel. Now, I want to do a little study right here on why Paul used the language of my gospel. Because I read that at first and I thought, huh, that's interesting. Because so many times when you read Paul or your New Testament, he uses language of Christ's gospel. He uses language of the gospel of Christ. But this is one, and he uses this language elsewhere, where he says, my gospel. we got to think about why. We don't know exactly why Paul switched that. But with context, here's what I want to share with you why I think. Remember Jesus Christ. And then it goes on. He's rose from the dead to pay the penalty for the sins. He's the savior of the world, the long-awaited one. My gospel. Paul's personalizing it. Paul is acknowledging the fact Jesus had to endure for him. The question for you, the question for me, How personal is the truth that Jesus endured for you, to you? Like, what does it mean that he endured on your behalf? Like, have you ever thought about that? Have you connected this to the truth that he endured on behalf of your sin, your foolishness? It nailed him to the cross. It wasn't their sin. It was our sin. It's this personalization of the gospel not being for them, but it being because of me. What does that look like in your life? Like some things that come to mind for me in mind. He endured the fact, because he had to pay the penalty for it. He endured the fact that I would use his name and I'd drag it through the mud for years before I ever came to actually know him. He endured the fact that there were times in my life where I was meant to protect, I was meant to serve, I was meant to lead. You know what I didn't said? I abdicated all of that, and I selfishly took when God made me to give. What was that in you? Did he endure the fact that on Father's Day you're with family and you're rebuilding a new relationship, a good one, but for years you squandered it. And there's grace for all of that. That's why he endured. So there's freedom and forgiveness and hope. But is that personal to you? Like, do you know that he's your king? It's your gospel. Not just the gospel. Endure everything for everyone. But you start by realizing he endured everything for you. That apart from Jesus Christ, you and I, we are without hope. That even though a world still mocks Him, we belittle it, we, we say we don't need Him, we, we do all of that. We mock the truths of the principles that bring blessing, and we try and act like there's no consequence to sin. died for all of that. Is it your gospel, I mean that in a sense, do you believe it to be true? But then also, if you believe, do you grasp that sense of your salvation and the cost to him? Doesn't mean you aren't worth the cost, but it means there was a price. Let's keep looking. We're going to read verses 9 through 13, 9 through 13. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I'll read that liturgy again. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. As we see that we are called to endure everything for everyone. The second obvious truth is we endure everything. I'm going to explain all that. I'm going to break that down but we that we matters to believers in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in Jesus, your life can be about you. That's that's functionally what it likely is. I lived that way for a long time. That's not even shame. But it's the sense of you coming and functioning as your own god. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is not about you because he gave his life for you. Do you know the legacy of being a Christian? The heritage, the family inheritance. We give our lives for others. We lay it down. To say it differently, Jesus has a famous line. We're not going to turn there. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Endurance, coming to the heart, pushing through is normal for the life of a believer. And who do we do it for? For everyone. Let's see that in this text. What I'm going to do here, though, this passage, Paul, he built this like a sandwich, I personally I love sandwiches. Maybe food doesn't connect with you. I it really connects with me, especially when I typically get like double meat, right? Here's what he's going to do. He's going to put the bread, I'm going to call that verse 9, right? I know it's silly. Stay with me. And then the bread, we're going to call that verses 11 through 13. He's going to give explanation to the heart of endurance. But verse 10, that's where we're going to focus. And we're going to have the meat. So I'm going to go 9 and then I'm going to jump to 11 through 13. Verse 9, here's what he says. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I love this as we look at this passage. Because Paul's saying this truth. Hey, this message of endurance, it's so worth it, I'm in jail for it. Right? If you remember from the context, the emperor at this time is Nero. Nero was not a fan of Christians. He'd blame half the rome burning on christians as kind of like a scapegoat to turn culture and people against them paul by all accounts very likely is writing this from emperor nero's dungeon paul's literally a criminal in literal chains he's waiting for them to take his life that will come that's where paul is But here's this beauty. Paul has this message of freedom, of liberty, of forgiveness, of hope, and of love. And he says, I don't care if I'm in chains. Why? You cannot shackle my gospel. Paul says, bring the chains. I will tell them until Christ brings me home. Then he jumps, and this is 11 through 13, and this is that liturgy, right? We're going to move through this you're welcome to go back, study this more on your own. Starting in 11, it says this, is a, this saying is trustworthy. Every time that is, it's a repetition, and it's like the, the, the Paul writing to Timothy saying, hey, Timothy, remember, focus here. Hey, John, hey, John, hey, Springs, hey, New Braunfels, hey, people watching online on the couches, listen here. He says if we have died with him, we also live with him. Paul reminds a believer of their identity. He says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have a new life. You're no longer identified with sin and death. You're identified with a Savior. You have a new life. Paul's giving four reasons, four reasons for why we endure. The second reason, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. I wish I could make a whole sermon out of this. Here's the whole thing he's talking about. The endurance in this life impacts eternal reigning with God. Ever since the foundation of the earth, God said to Adam and Eve, hey, have dominion, rule. The language there, it's reign. That's the garden, if you know your Bible. At the end of your Bible, at the end of the library of God's scripture, we will go and we will reign with him. Contextually, so you know, I put this in the millennial Reign where Christians will go and we will reign and we will rule with Christ. Why do we endure now? Because it impacts then. Let's keep going. I know, I know, it's like a deep, deep Sunday school class. Kids are like, I'm so bored, when is brunch? Stay with me. Uh, Third one, if we deny him, he will also deny us. This is a real sobering one, guys. Why do we endure for everyone the stakes are eternal. The stakes are eternal. This is why, if you, if you know the comedian slash magician um, Penn and Teller in, in Vegas, Penn, he's actually famous for something that I've always really appreciated. He's famous for saying, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and from that, as you should, you acknowledge the existence of an afterlife, a heaven and hell is not just some form of a Judeo-Christian ethic meant to motivate and scare people into behaving, but is real places that God pleads with people to believe in him. He says, if you believe that to be true and you don't proselytize, you don't evangelize. You don't share your faith. You don't endure the awkward conversation, the scornful look, the fact they roll their eyes at you, the reality that they may not then want to do a play date with you, or, or you're dating someone, and they don't really seem to care, and they look at you like, wait, why is it a big deal that I don't care about Jesus and you do? Why does that mean we got to break up? He says if you don't endure all that, and you believe this, it's cruelty. Why? Stakes are eternal. What's the final one? Final one, this is such a comforting, soothing part. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. You might think right there, wait a minute, does that mean I can lose my salvation? No. How do we know that? The very end. For he cannot deny himself. Believers in Christ are secured, right? We're about to talk about it. We are the elect. Stay with me on that word. What's true there, though, is he's saying On the days when I totally miss it, when I am faithless, the seasons when I just miss it, who is never faithless towards me? God. Why? He is a perfect Father. Perfect Father. He remains faithful. So we've seen the sandwich. Now let's look at the meat. I want you to jump back in, read verse 10. So because of all this, what does Paul say? Therefore, I endure what? Everything. I looked up what everything means in the Greek. You want to know what it means? Everything. Because we're all right now, if you're like me, you're, you're hearing this, and you're either thinking about lunch, right? Or you're thinking about, yeah, but not this. But not that situation. But not this job. But not that family member but not that person on facebook right we we all come up with our reasons he says everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory guys why why do we endure everything for everyone why paul's saying he wants them to have what he has he wants them to know What he knows, salvation that is in Christ Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved with eternal glory. He's not some punisher who's angry and mad at you. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. And Paul's saying, I found that. I want them to know that. We endure everything. Why? So that folks will come to know that message. As well as what I think can be implied out of this text. Grow in a love and appreciation of that message. Because what was true, Timothy right now, he's facing persecution. He's facing loss of life. He's facing prison himself. It was a scary time. But he endures everything. For who? Paul says here, the elect... If you ever want to go study or look up the elect, I'd really encourage you to go back. We worked our way through Ephesians. The second week, as we talked through that, you could find it online. We'll break down what that word means. Right here, here's what I tell you God's people. How do you know? How do you know who's God's people? Here's the thing only God knows ultimately. So, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? Who do we endure on behalf of? Everybody. Everybody, the person who is so far from God, do you endure on their behalf? Yes. The person who comes, who disciples you, who instructs you, do you endure on their behalf? Yes. Why? That they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. PS, parents, this is like job number one of parenting. You endure, and God's sovereign over all of that. You endure that your kids might see in you, huh? Maybe God is real. Because that love doesn't look like the way my friend's parents love their kids. We endure everything for everyone. We saw this, guys, from this passage. We first, we talked about why did we do that? We do it because he endured everything. Like Jesus Christ on your behalf and on mine, he endured the cross. Like there's this verse in Hebrews 12, if we had more time, he went to that. The cross was the pinnacle of evil, excruciating pain for the son of God. He hit the wall. Let this cup pass from me. But father, not my will, your will be done. And he pushed through fully God coming to die for you, for me. He endured everything. My gospel. He did it for me. John, he did it for you. Second thing you got to know is from that, what's true of Christians? We endure everything. We endure everything. Let me talk about let me talk about how we do that. I've got, I've got three points of application. I think the first is a mindset. Because endurance, it's really a mindset. Like, what's the difference between an endurance runner and me? A lot, I get it. You don't have to laugh so much. Uh, no, no, right? A lot, an endurance runner and me, well, technically it's just hitting that wall and going through You could do that at a quarter of a mile or 20 miles. It's a mindset. First thing that we as believers need to embrace is a mindset, or to say it differently, set your expectations for this is going to be difficult. You want to have a glorious relationship. You want to leave an impact in this life. You cannot expect this to be easy. You see, remember again, he's not telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, do this. Here's how to build this church. Here's everything you gotta go, man. Go take this message, spread it out. He's saying, no, Timothy, endure. It's gonna be hard. They might kill you. P.S., Timothy will eventually die for his faith. What's the sweet sauce that Paul's reminding him by the power of God? Endure. You ever think about one of the main characteristics of a believer in Jesus Christ should be endurance? Endurance you got to set that expectation. That should change the way you view work. That should change the way you view relationships. That should change the way you view a disciplined pursuit of God. This will be difficult. Does that mean it's not also glorious? That doesn't also lead to the abundant life? No. But it requires endurance. The second thing is I think you have to understand what is the difference, the biblical difference, between endurance and, for lack of a better language, being a doormat, right? I I talk to a lot of of Christians or people wrestling with faith, and here's what they find themselves. They find themselves constantly feeling like they're being taken advantage of by other people, that they have no real self of individuality. They are a doormat, and they're just called to love Jesus because Jesus said, turn the other cheek, which we should teach on that one time, right? Because it means more than what you think it does, Endurance, I think we're people that operate like a pendulum. I know I can have this tendency. Here's here's what I mean by operating like a pendulum. I can have a tendency to swing to one side. We're on this side, right? I, I can be more passive. I can enable, I can become a doormat. I can let people take advantage of me, right? I can create a life without boundaries, right? Well, people do that enough, and this has probably happened to you. You can live that way until eventually you just get fed up. You get tired of it. You start getting mad at family, and you don't want to go to Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden, you don't want to go back to community group, or you don't want to go back to your boss and be nice. And what do we do? Like a pendulum. Whew. We swing the other direction. We withdraw. We say, I could never forgive that. We say things like, this is their fault. We change our number, and we don't tell anybody. We resent them. We talk about them behind their back, and we just swing that pendulum. Endurance is the biblical call for a healthy middle. Here's what I mean by that. Operating from a position of health, and this is another sermon too, but it's saying, hey, I can guard my heart. I can also bear one another's burdens, and I can love people from positions of health. I can endure by loving them in both grace and truth. Y'all tracking with that? So that's what I'm talking about. Which leads me to the third thing, is, is we're all sitting here, we have relationships that many of us, let's say with people, as well as sometimes with institutions, the church may be this in your mind, that we just view as toxic. And because they're toxic, We're just fed up and done. Many of us can endure with a lot of people. But then there's the sum. And the sum we can't endure. Mostly that's because you probably allowed them to take advantage of things for a long time. We are called to identify those. And I would recommend, build a healthier strategy. Right? If you don't know how to do that, talk with your community group. If there's confusion, reach out. We will help you. This is an aspect of discipleship. But then what are you supposed to do after that? You know what the passage says? Endure everything. What does that look like? The community group where people feel flaky. Do you call them lovingly to commit to faithfulness? Yep. What if they don't like you? Endure. What does this look like in the midst of a a, a marriage? Right? Where there's safety. Yet one spouse is foolish, disobedient, and led astray. Do you just bounce? Or do you wisely find provision of God's people around you to help build the right strategy of both protection and provision, but endurance? What does this look like for you coming and you have the boss that's constantly condescending, who doesn't believe in God, you hate the job, you hate the environment, do you just wash your hands of it, talk bad about them behind their back, and do all you can to just run out the door? We endure everything. It's really hard. It's why it's called endurance. I'll close with this. I got to see a beautiful example of this. Uh, Actually, in a movie, Um, I'm sure like a lot of you guys, you may have noticed different movie platforms. You can go and watch different movies for free right now, particularly that are representing black history, things like that. I watched Harriet. I know I can't see folks at home on the couch. Anyone here ever seen the movie Harriet, about the story of Harriet Tubman? Well, if you haven't seen it, some of the folks, I know the vast majority of you, you know her story. But if not, I'll remind you. It's this beautiful movie about a slave went by the nickname of Minty, right, that ran 100 miles to freedom from Maryland to Pennsylvania, ran 100 miles to freedom, claimed a freedom name, Harriet Tubman. Here's what was amazing, though, about Harriet. She found freedom from the bondage and captivity of one person owning another, the wicked sin. But here's what was true. Once she found freedom, she sat there for a year, Sat there. She still had family in slavery. She still had friends down south. And she did what people didn't do. She went back. She went back repeatedly, a hundred-mile journey to Maryland. If she would have been caught, the consequences you can't describe in a family gathering. She went back repeatedly. Her first time back, she rescued nine other slaves. What did she endure 100 miles would take her a little over a week. Oftentimes, she didn't have food, constantly running, living in the forest. She talks about, and you can even read this in sections outside of the movie. You can go see this. She talks about the reality of enduring both the Copperhead, the river, the slave master, and the slave catcher. You know what she kept doing, even after people and good, well intended people saying, You don't have to keep going. You don't have to keep going. She said, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Throughout the course of her life, she directly led to freedom, and I mean directly, as in like, she marched them over a 100 different slaves, 100 different ones. What did she grasp? Why did she do it? She had a tremendous faith in God. Slavery, in that sense, it was physical, it was tangible. Shackles in bondage. But she endured that to deliver people to freedom. She was an abolitionist that said, no matter the cost, freedom is worth it. Church, the shackles of tangible slavery may be different, but people, their souls which is far worse, are in bondage. They are in captivity. You have freedom. You don't face the same threat. That's where I'm watching her as she turns around in this movie. I'm reading up on her after, and I'm just sitting here, and I'm thinking, that's endurance. That's courage. That's bravery. And I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, and I get nervous to share my faith. I I don't like it when people get upset if I lean in on God's truth. I could come and I have this strange tendency to just make things about me. We are abolitionists on behalf of freedom. You know what Paul says? This gospel message cannot be bound. You endure everything. For who? For everyone. There's a freedom message that God wants for you and wants for me. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this call to endurance and the reminder. Because God, if I'm honest, man, I quit way too soon. I quit way too easy. And Lord, make me an enduring man. Make us, those who believe, an enduring people. Help me to know it's just going to be hard. And that will make glory all the more beautiful. I thank you for friends here who know that. God, for the people who don't, who don't know why would you be worth enduring for. May they come to know the depth of you risen and what that means for them. We need your help to do that. It's in your name we pray, amen. Hey, thank y'all for gathering. I hope y'all have a wonderful Father's Day and y'all go, y'all have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.